0: Voices of Hope is a podcast from New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on-site and online at 9.30 a.m., and you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Don and Pastor Jordan have a conversation around the story of Jesus' transfiguration from Matthew 17, 1-13. This ends our series for the values of hope with our value of finding the sacred in the ordinary. Scripture reading is done by Rick Young.
1: Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13. All right, let's go for it. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became bright as light. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will set up three tents for you, tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, the beloved with him, I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they raised their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist,
2: Uh, Jordan already told you about this, um, but this book he found, What If Jesus Was Serious, is going to be shaping both of our preaching for the next couple of months. Uh, It's an easy read, great themes. We're continuing in Matthew, as a matter of fact. Uh, So pick up your Bible this afternoon, keep on. We've been in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. We're jumping to 17 because that's where the transfiguration is. But then we continue through Jesus, rather stringent but very serious. But also this book is very playful Mm -hmm. and I love the the artwork in it. And someone's already talking to me. Where's Dave was saying he's already been reading it, way ahead of us. Uh, So get your copy.
0: There's pictures. There's... (laughs) (laughs)
2: We're making our way through core values. Hey, Jordan, I was thinking about that. And we're doing this because um, we've been having a great time doing our podcast together. If you haven't found our podcast, what we're afraid to say from the pulpit, uh, go to our website and find that. And so we thought a little dialogue here today as well. Surprise question. Since we're kind of wrapping up a series on core values, Jordan, do you have a favorite core value or better yet, a least favorite? (laughs) or a core of value something that's challenging you think wow Uh
0: uh-huh um well favorite i think is um it always tends to be invite people to a big table for me just because a lot of churches try to be that uh, Hmm. but when you kind of get down to it it isn't always that way like people are welcome but not everybody's welcome to serve or um, be part of communion and stuff like that but new hope really strives to be that big table to invite all kinds of different perspectives and people around the table and that at times can cause uh, tension and and create um, some riffing but uh, it's a really good practice i think especially for our world today that practice with one another to care for one another even if you disagree with one another so that's my favorite Uh, least favorite (laughs) I mean, I think it's probably everybody's least favorite is holy discontent, Uh, (laughs) just because it it forces you to actually not avoid conflict, but meet it head on, and meet it in a way that, uh, uh, as a community of faith, that we know we all don't have the answers, but we're trying to find the way that God is showing us uh, forward, so that, and that can be really hard to do, so that's probably the least favorite one.
2: Good. I'll go with holy discontent for both. I think, I think I've mentioned before, it's such a peculiar core value. I've been part of and known well many congregations. Uh, none lift up something like holy discontent. It is something that feeds my preaching. Um, in, in seminary, uh, we were taught to uh, comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I always look for. A way into the text is often about that. Yeah. Yeah challenging as that uh-huh. sometimes is we just heard this wonderful Matthew text up on the mountain the transfiguration and I got some questions we thought some questions to kind of shape our conversation here the first would be this Jordan uh, in this story are we reading history or theology and maybe as a uh, part of that is what to, what did our seminaries diff, very different seminaries what did they teach us about this approach or this text and have we changed since so i go that's, first that's Is that you, <laughs> yeah you go first. you go first
0: um yeah this this text when don brought it up uh like a month ago that we would be talking about this in february um, in all honesty and transparency i rolled my eyes because i like this story for me <laughs> I, I have a hard time with it i'm like well, he often that? he
2: often rolls his <laughs> eyes in our conversations, so that's nothing new
0: um, and it's it's one of those stories that is kind of in there and it's doing something but you don't quite know what the application is maybe or uh, so my seminary my upbringing all that stuff probably says that this story the main purpose of it is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is that person that is completing uh, what Adam could not. And so that's kind of the purpose of it. That's the mechanism of it, which is fine. It's great. Um, but since then, I think maybe for me, I, I lean a lot towards um, the theology part is hard for me in this because I'm. what's the theology besides... Jesus is the Son of God. What you just said, yeah. Yeah. Um, is it history? Uh, I, I kind of, I dislike that question a lot when it comes to the Bible. When people are like, is it history? Did it really happen? For me, that's always kind of a, um, a false question. Uh, because our faith is faith. It's believing in something that we do not see. And so if we have to try and prove things in the Bible as history then what is faith then? Uh, and so for me, sure, believe it's history. Uh, if, if somebody doesn't believe it's history and it's like a metaphor, good, whatever. Uh, but for me, what really has kind of changed is seeing it as more of a literary mechanism. Uh, the Bible is written by authors that use different types of writing to get their points across, and this is one of those things where it's making a shift in the story. It's showing this character of Jesus, who this character is, and maybe it's a little bit different than what everybody else was hoping Jesus would be. Um, If you've watched shows, movies, read a book, maybe there's a point in those stories that something happens and you're like, I don't know if this character is exactly who this author has made them to be, now there's a shift in it. And I think that's one of the main things with the story that I think now and that doesn't mean all the other things aren't a part of it it can be all of those things together does that yeah yeah
2: yeah no helpful uh, my seminary was a pretty progressive seminary and so it tended to be and you were mentioning this uh, a literary approach not a literal approach those words are scarily similar and mean in this case the opposite of each other Uh, a literary approach says what's the story we're reading how does it function as a story and especially in this case it asks a few questions like this Um, this story out of Matthew is we know Matthew and Luke borrowed heavily from Mark that is initiator of this story almost word for word in this case and so in seminary we've been invited well let's go back and look at Mark and see if Matthew and or Luke changed it at all and see if John later on changed it at all. John doesn't even include this story, which is really strange. More on that in a a minute and at this point they would have said, well, the story in Mark has a function that is also a literary function in that it's quoting Exodus. Um, that what's going on in this story, before we take it as a videotapable, wow, that's an old reference, isn't it? Uh, Before we take it as a historical event, we'd ask, well, Mark says this, Mark's a gospel full of immediately Jesus did this, this happened, this happened, suddenly in this story alone, Mark says, six days later, it's a a weird interjection, uh, and that's echoed in Matthew. Uh, Six days later, Jesus goes up a mountain, There's mist, there's the presence of God, and then on the way back down, Peter says, let's make booths. And so my seminary would have said, wow, uh, this is not being presented as a historical story. It's being presented as a liturgical or a theological story. It's a reenactment of Exodus 24. I know you're all thinking, of course it is, Pastor. I got Exodus (laughs) 24. Uh, that if you go look now we'll have us in the wilderness, Moses going up a mountain into mist, presence of God, gets the word and comes back down and makes booths. It's the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles seems to be what we're echoing here. Um, So much so that when he comes back down, Peter says, Lord, uh, let's make, because of this great event that we've seen who you really are, let's, uh, let's make these booths. And, I, I, and initially out of Samaria for five or ten years, I'd come across this and my point of the sermon would be something like, oh, silly Peter trying to preserve a spiritual experience that can't be preserved. He's being too clingy. This would be the same sermon as Mary outside the tomb. Don't cling to me. As the, I don't think, I, that's not a good reading of this text anymore. And I've changed to, to think about this function as as a, as a novel, as what's being told about the person of Jesus. Um, same thing, the application. Jesus goes up the mountain, and here even we have Moses in this story. And Elijah, the law and the prophets, which, uh, some symbolism, God's presence, law and the prophets, the tribe of us wandering in the wilderness, that that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke are trying to evoke here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we celebrate... Uh, that receiving of the law this is this is a story about continuity and discontinuity I think in Jesus
0: yeah it's like when he says time and time again when he says you've heard it this way but I say to you and it's continuity but then it changes as well es-
2: especially in Matthew yeah I don't come to abolish the law you've heard this I come to make it even a more stringent law uh-huh And we go, oh, is that, he's being good rabbi or a bad rabbi? He's being a rabbi who's challenging us in a new way, changing the tradition.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, Another part of this that uh, connects to me of learning in seminary was, uh, if you think about the person, Adam and Eve. So Moses, Abraham, all these different people in the Old Testament were seen as like, oh, this is the new Adam. But then they kind of fail at a certain point just like Adam did Jesus is the completion of that uh, and doesn't fail where Adam did humanity uh, you can say it that way too so um. we've
2: talked about this before your seminary a little stronger uh, mine almost uninterested in overarching cosmic yeah. theology story God is trying to do this in this uh-huh. my seminary a little more what's what's the text is it what's the literary device being used and then on to I think similar tracks of what's the application Mm -hmm. what would it mean to the early community what does it mean for you and me yeah Um, I'm nervous about supersessionism supersessionism is when someone comes along and says I like what you got but here's the new and improved version I I've got an issue with latter-day saints uh, because I spent 13 years in Boise and they're a key part of community life and in the school board. And my issue is not with myth and fantasy. There's myth and fantasy in our scripture as well. Uh, I don't really need to beat up on the book of Mormon, which I've read and which is heavily derivative of the Holy Bible that predates it by 1500 years. Uh, I don't need to beat up on Joseph Smith. He can be a great teacher. My problem is the supersessionism of Mormon saying, no, your Bible's great, but what you really need is the Book of Mormon to understand that Bible. Um, your Jesus is just fine, but Joseph Smith is the culmination of that. That offends me. <laughs> I've got an issue. Uh, I've said before I've got more in common with Buddhists and Hindus and atheists. Then, I, in fact, who have, I should say, who have a healthy pluralism in their theology than I have with the LDS church that's trying to correct me and limit me. And then it makes me wonder, is that how Jews think of me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You so you love your Jewish tradition is so cute. Uh, but boy, this Jesus. And so in this text, I fear this condescension and, of course, the anti-Semitism. And the disastrous results that has had in our world for saying, now, nah, here's the culmination. You like Moses and Elijah, Jesus is the one up onto. This story uh, has that, that tone to me. Mm-hmm. So I get anxious about application and about our own Christian theology. What else here? Primacy of Jesus,
0: the symbols. Maybe yeah, yeah. Number three, there we yeah. have a cheat sheet up here. <laughs> we have some things to make sure we don't go blowing past. Uh. Uh, yeah,
2: okay. Um, we have the clouds. We have the Word. Jesus is called the Word. Moses and Elijah seem to represent the fullness of the Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. It's Law and Prophets. Moses is the one who got us through the wilderness. So we're supposed to be thinking of all that at the Transfiguration. Um,
0: yeah, it's. Kind of like what I said earlier: of the culmination of everything comes right here through Jesus, and using symbolism of Elijah and Moses and um, all the things that the people, uh, his his disciples, and anybody that would read this uh, earlier, they would just know what's happening. They understand the symbol symbolism. Uh, there's certain symbolism that we just understand when we see it or hear it in our culture now. That maybe. 200 years from now, somebody would read something we wrote and be like, uh, what does that mean exactly? Uh, so there's a lot of symbolism working from the Old Testament, uh, bringing something new from it. So
2: We were just doing this in Bible study a month or so back about Christology when Jesus became divine. Uh, and it's, it's clear to me that this text has an uh, agenda of lifting up and setting as priority. It's a good Christian text in that way, Mm -hmm. uh, this culmination in Matthew. Here's a little rabbit hole because it's only 22 after. Um, (laughs) Because what are they gonna do? I'm intrigued that this story isn't in John. John's Christology is highest of all. Why doesn't John include transfiguration to highlight how important and central Jesus is? Especially John, who's accused, rightfully so, of being most of the roots of anti-Semitism. It's in John's gospel especially we find the most offensive rejection of the Jews. All those verses are in John, not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, We're in 90 and John's got this really, he's got to start a desire to push to separate us from our surrounding community and we can become so, so why not include this text? And I think the answer is, and now this is leading me up to date because this is only 10 years old in my thinking. Um, there's a really weird story in John uh, in seven through nine that it, that's not told in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that rather has this. It's about the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus and the disciples are going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. So far, so good. I feel the connection. And then this, one of the weirdest sentences in all four Gospels. At first, Jesus was gonna go, but then he told them, no, he wouldn't go. Later on, he did go, as it were, in secret. If you can parse that sentence for me, we'd be done and we'd be doing benediction. Uh, later on, he did go as it were in secret. I think what this means, I think John is, is pointing out that this entire transfiguration story is a liturgical event, not to be taken historically. John is way out there, symbolic, high metaphor, the best for it, right? John is saying this, and by the way, at the Feast of Tabernacles, still happens today. Just, uh, is it in the fall? Uh, You'll still see, I'm not sure how many synagogues are around Castle Rock, uh, but I spent years in New Jersey uh, and in California and still to this day for celebrating the Feast of Booths, which is when we are transient and wandering around in the wilderness and Moses managed to find us the law. They still set up PVC pipes and they put tents in the front yard uh, of the Jewish synagogue and the kids go out for their children's sermon and the parents go with them and we have we celebrate this still today. John's pointing out uh, uh, this event that Jesus didn't go but then did go as it were in secret. In the text when he does go the people say this and they were talking about Jesus. Some were saying he's a rabbi, he's a prophet, he's a great man. Others were saying no uh, it's a scandal, he's misleading our youth and so anyway John Spong, a favorite theologian of mine, says, uh, This is not an event in 30 of the contemporary era. This is an event in 90. That John's describing what it's like today when Jesus has been gone and resurrected for a generation and a half, and people are still asking, Is he a great teacher? Is he the culmination of the law? Or is a he scoundrel? He's misleading our kids. Uh, Spawn suggests that this entire event of realizing anew who Jesus is is in fact a moment of coming to faith. Uh, that it's in fact a problem of the early church. Uh, he goes so far as to say this is in fact something of a resurrection appearance misplaced into the middle of the Gospels. That our question as readers is what do, what do we think he is in terms of fulfillment, bettering of? And why do we keep on celebrating these festivals these religious uh, pieces um, as a way of remembering him and a way of acknowledging who he is. So.
0: Um, I'm going to uh, pull something out of my head here of maybe a it was just coming to me of a different reading of of that is could it be the festival of booze is all booze <laughs> not booze booths booths yeah <laughs> that'd be a different festival um it's halloween <laughs> It'd be october oh. fest yeah. um so uh the festival of booths one of the things of it is the practice of correct me if i'm wrong because i i remember this and faintly but the practice of it is that you if there's any stranger that comes into town you're welcoming them in mm. and giving them food letting them stay it's the practice of hospitality the festival of booths because um that's the israelites knew they were strangers in a strange land at one point and it's reminding them there are still people in a strange land that need hospitality that need people to take care of them so that's part of the practice and so part of me feels like this jesus return in secret maybe is after a transfiguration or resurrection
2: is he present with us or not
0: right and so in secret because when jesus says when you do this for the least of me you do at least to me you do it for me that this is kind of pointing towards that of like you don't know where Jesus is in your midst take care of those that need being taken care of uh, because it could be Jesus I like that any
2: good any good Jewish household celebrating a feast is going to have one extra chair who's it for it's for Elijah it's the same piece we do with Jesus saying, obviously there's nothing in that chair, we keep it open for this theological faithful reason for the divine presence of God in a mysterious way. Uh, let's, let's wrap up with we're, the, the core value we're finishing up is to find the sacred in the ordinary, which is beautiful. This is the culmination of religion, right? To, to transform our normal lives and see them anew. That it's just Jesus coming down the mountain and it's something more. Um, What do you got about sacred in the ordinary?
0: Um, I think it's one of those things that that we tend to, we just expect to happen. Uh, And sometimes it does, sometimes it catches us off guard that the sacred comes through the ordinary. Uh, And kind of hits us over the head other times we have to train ourselves to see it Mm. We have to train ourselves to see Jesus in our midst because we can get caught up in everything else in our lives uh, that we just have blinders on or Scriptural languages scales in front of our eyes. Uh, We need to learn how to drop those in different ways Uh, and I mean you hear it all the time where people are like if you see the sunset How can you believe there isn't a God? That is one of those sacred in the ordinary moments for people, that it's so beautiful, I can't really comprehend how that is real. Uh, It must be something supernatural. Um, But we've, there's some different, probably all of you have had experiences in your life that you can't really explain. Uh, You could try and tell somebody about it, but it doesn't come out real well. It doesn't make sense to them unless you were there experiencing it, um, and I'm sure many of you have had that. I, I think in my life I wrote down different options, but do you? Because no, you go, wanted to bring this no, up, so go ahead. <laughs> I'll,
2: I'll, let me. I'll just stay in. A, uh, from a church a leadership position, I've pastored smaller churches where, for Transfiguration Sunday, all I've done is take a microphone and go into the congregation and say, "In honor of the story we just heard." Uh, Tell us about your weirdest spiritual event in a paragraph, uh, and uh, we want to affirm you. And what, what I find amazing is if we took time to do that today, we decided not to because of the size. How many of our deepest, and this is a massive failure of New Hope, and oh yeah, every congregation I've ever been in. That your most spiritual event in life, your most cosmic, otherworldly, and then he was was transformed white and it was like that you'd be embarrassed to tell your pastor about. (laughs) And you would never be caught dead bringing it up in a meeting, let alone talking about it in worship. Does, Does anyone else have that ring as just so impossibly wrong? What have we missed? You're supposed to be keeping hidden away. What is your uh, atomic energizer, God's divine in you, and you're embarrassed by it? We're we're really deeply messed up. Every Sunday should be Transfiguration Sunday where we say, no, the experience of God, the the holy in the common happens all the time. We're ignoring it and we're embarrassed by it. We're afraid to even tell our pastors about it because we're afraid it won't be received by a profoundly staid religious tradition we call Christianity when in fact in the core of our story is a mysticism something beyond explanation uh, that changed the world changed my world too
0: sounding very Pentecostal right now that's very me, charismatic that's this is mm-hmm. a Presbyterian go, church. get my guitar we're gonna go <laughs> yeah it you know one I can uh share that I thought of this morning uh was in a sacred in the ordinary moment in college there was a class Uh, I think it was a youth ministry class and I was amongst peers but none of them were like close friends. I I just knew them through classes and we did an activity that the professor had us do where we would have each of us would go sit in a chair and the rest of the class or volunteers would go and, and stand around them and kind of place their hands on them and pray for them and the practice was to try and listen to the spirit in the moment and so there's the professor said, those of you praying for that person, just say the things that are coming to your mind that you're praying for, for this person. So I was sitting there and they were praying over me. And uh, one of the people had said, you know, I, I feel like I'm seeing a, a lighthouse in the midst of a very stormy sea. Uh, and at that time in my life, I don't remember what it was, but I remember things just felt very chaotic felt very stormy, unpeaceful uh and that was something uh said through somebody else who didn't really know me that connected real directly, and it was one of those moments where the you know the yeah. goosebumps go up, and then I, I and I honestly I just wanted to run out of there. I was like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> this is weird um but those were one of those moments of sacred in the ordinary mm. uh, and he was teaching us how to look for that, how to be open to the spirit and what God was saying. Um, So.
2: Beautiful. I do have some charismatic missionaries in my background and my call to ministry came out of San Jose, Costa Rica and some wild events that I only tell a handful of people in my world about um, because I'm a Presbyterian (laughs) (laughs) and I'm afraid that what you really need to hear is, oh yeah, the session at Bellevue First Press thought you had the gifts. That's also all true. And what we can do as disciples of Jesus Christ is do a better job and maybe a better job than even I of trying to give permission for the most far out thing that's happened in you. I do a lot of dream work too as a matter of fact that I don't talk about especially not from the front Um, and that God works deeply in you and I think there's a really good chance that the things you treasure most feel weird to you and that's not your fault that's our fault that's the community's fault. Let's be more incarnational. Let's look for the uh, sacred and the ordinary and especially give the people around us permission uh, to tell what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Open my eyes. That's our closing song. Let's stand and sing.
0: Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.